0: I'm glad to see you here tonight in this night of sang. We are very close to the end of this uh, big excursion through the Gospel of Luke, which took us three, four seasons to complete. Definitely the Gospel of Luke, as I said, the Gospel of Luke has 24 chapters, and we were interrupted last time in the middle of the chapter number 23, We have entered into this mad part where suddenly the devil is set free to do its worst, to do the worst, and uh, events have a huge amount of irrationality. Things are happening, things which in normal circumstances would never happen. The absurd, the devil laughing and dancing a sinister dance jesus reacting appropriately which means being defiant to it and not descending himself at the level of competing with it like people said do a miracles made them cynically uh, make an irony about all of it and uh, therefore it, it wouldn't have served anything, it it was just the impression, the Maya of it. And as you know, I do these commentaries to the Gospels, now the Gospel of Luke for the last uh, two, three seasons, precisely because I'm trying to make people understand from the standpoint of yoga, and especially from the standpoint of Tantric yoga, of Agama yoga, of Kundalini yoga, of yoga that we teach to the world, to explain some of the states of consciousness, some of the laws of the universe, some of the principles, and of course, some of the advice and teaching that Jesus is giving to people and to the world. And uh, I said it last time or maybe two times ago, once Jesus was arrested on Thursday evening, on the Last Supper evening after the Last Supper, then the things change. Then it's not the regular, then for Jesus there becomes, there begins a terrible spiritual test, the ultimate spiritual test, in which he moves to being the Christ, in which he moves to the universal consciousness, in which he identifies with the spirit and with the plight of every person on this planet, and in which basically he sacrifices himself for the world under the guise of the sacrificial lamb. His sacrifice is creating a new covenant. If Jesus wouldn't have done with this, the last covenant which he established in the Last Supper wouldn't have been valid. It would have been just theatrical. It would have been a mockery. It would have had the form, but it wouldn't have had the contents. He gave it the form like this is going to be the covenant with bread and wine, the famous communion. But uh, now he had to give the meat to it in the meaning that if he wouldn't have sacrificed himself, then God wouldn't have sealed the deal. The deal had to be sealed by Jesus going through his process. And therefore, we are in the middle of madness. We are in the middle of the apparent victory of the devil. Jesus is pushed from Caiaphas to Pilate and back. Jesus is like a ping pong ball. Meanwhile, imbecile Roman soldiers spit on him and temple soldiers beat him, mock him, do all the things. And Jesus, who is the essence of humanity, who is God walking on the face of the earth, takes it takes it in an incomprehensible act of humbleness, precisely because the deal must be finalized. The deal must be sealed. You can ask yourself, what kind of God creates such a planet, such a world, where, okay, when Moses got his deal from God, the tablets of the law, even then the fight with the Egyptian pharaoh and with the Egyptian priests has been bitter, ugly. The rivers, the Nile turned into blood and locusts were coming from heavens, and children died, the firstborn of each and all sorts of pestilences and misery. Like already at that time, you can ask yourself, what God are we talking about who wins his victory in such a way, like the representative of God? it's, It's almost like witchcraft and black magic, only that it comes from God. No, and like, it's it's a miserable planet, you know. How did the Jews get their exodus, their exit out of Egypt, with at such a cost, with such ugliness? Why can't there be a planet where all things are resolved amicably? Okay, like, hey, the Jews want to go to have a promised land. Moses said, "If you want to come with me, okay, go with Moses." You know, it's like, hey, you know, it was like we are sad to see you go. Like, Why does it have to happen with the Pharaoh and the soldiers and it dying, drowned in the Red Sea? And, you know, it's like, it's a whole misery. It's a whole misery and occult powers have to be used in a more painful way. And then a lot of miseries have happened after Moses for a thousand years, along with the prophets and other events which happened. The Babylonian capture imprisonment and other, and other things which happened the fact that apparently they lost the Ark of Covenant you know which was the to gather 12 disciples to gather 144,000 disciples, whatever to bring people from all the nations of the world and the whole thing could not be done without torture blood mockery mayhem, misunderstanding beating ugliness Demonism, Satanism, you know, like all the as it's not in this world, you know, so like there are many schizophrenics who claim that they are kings of some kingdom floating in the clouds, you know, and so on, you know for all the unrealistic people, if you start crucifying them or killing them, what are you going to do? Like even the sense of justice, the little bit of healthy manipura that Pilate was having, was not agreeing with it, you no. Know? And these Jewish monsters, they insisted, crucify, release us Barabbas, crucify this his blood is on our heads, on our children, on our like, do it, you know, we need to do it like this. My gross manipulation, but of such an ugly type. And the last paragraph, which I read on our last satsang, simply says that, so Pilate decided to grant their demand. Like finally, because of political pressure, why should I spoil my relationships with the local king and with the local priests? They are going to help me to quell any rebellion in the future. It's good to collaborate with their authorities because they have them on. And the price is to crucify one man who looks like a dreamer and uh, who is having a long white robe. So be it, you know, if we curse. And eventually he became part of the mistake. If he wouldn't have done this mistake, this mistake would have been 100% Jewish. But like this, this mistake became kind of like 50% Jewish, 50% Roman. Both of them had a part in it. So he released Barabbas, who was a murderer, who, but he was a murderer being a patriot. He was a patriot. Today, probably, he would be called a Terrorist. No, because he was acting against the order of the state. This guy was a terrorist or whatever, a militia man, a zealot. No, and he released Barabbas, although he hated doing that because he knew that Barabbas was rather deserving to die because he had killed a Roman soldier or several. No, and because he had done insurrection and murder and he was really a dangerous character and he surrendered Jesus to their will. So basically, okay, we'll crucify this guy and you know, see if I care. Now, unfortunately, I can tell you that he did care. You know, later, after one year, two years, three years, he started realizing because the, the tsunami was coming, Christianity was blossoming, and the more the years were passing, this guy realized what have I done? There are stories that Pilate reached a certain level of repentance, and one of the apostles visit him here it was the biggest mistake of his life because he served the devil and went against god making himself an instrument of this diabolic force but the circumstances are complex because god wanted it to happen in a certain way he released he took all holds away the demonic forces were allowed to go for 30 hours 72 hours, whatever, run freely and therefore uh, he was simply swept away. We met many people who under the pressure of circumstances, either they were working with Stalin or with Mao Zedong or with Ceausescu or with Pol Pot or with whoever, or they were in Rwanda 20 years ago or something, they committed atrocities. Normal people who were caught somewhere, they were guardians in a concentration camp, something very, very bad, and very, very wrong. Uh, Let's not forget that the Romans were not angels, the Roman emperors were schizophrenic monsters, and the people who served them loyally, like Pilate, who was the local governor, they were basically kissing the ass of schizophrenic, diabolic emperors, who goes around and gives advice to people. But even in this circumstance, Jesus is Jesus. And the great yogi, the great spirit, and more than that, the great avatara that he is, shines with divine countryside passed by, and the Roman soldier said, you, get to work. And put the tree on him and made him carry it. Maybe he was, to a large extent, vegan, vegetarian, whatever, the story with the fishes is very unclear. It comes back in the very last chapter. And um, anyhow, he was very weak physically. Like all these had depleted him. And basically, because otherwise, why would they have asked a total unknown person from the street to carry the, the cross? the beam until today we don't know if they made a cross and they made him carry the cross or the cross had the vertical part permanently there on the hill of Golgotha and people were carrying just the horizontal beam but if the horizontal beam was as they show it a piece of wood about this thick no and two meters long then it would have weighed 50 kilos or something and for a very frail person who had been beaten and bled and Did not sleep for more than 24 hours, for 30 hours. Of course, it would have been an effort. And probably he would have fallen down often and stumbled. And remember, there was no asphalt road in those days. So the soldiers were simply pragmatical. They said, take a guy from the street and have him carry the beam. Because we want to get over it quickly, quickly. You know, we have to crucify this guy. Let's not be late and wait him walk like a snail on the road. From Cyrene no he carried the cross of christ this shows us that this sacrifice reflects on humanity that humanity carries the cross for christ and christ carries the cross for the humanity it's a cross fertilization you know it's not that jesus is separate it's a very important synchronicity that a man not mentioned in the story before he was asked to carry The cross. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Even at that time, remember the men ran away because they were chased, like you were with Jesus. They would not chase the women, because in the Jewish society at that time, the women were not really important. They had only a consultative role. They didn't have voting rights. They didn't have... The women were not even counted. Jesus made bread and fish for 5,000 people without counting the women and children. Like with the women and children, there were probably 20,000. But only 5,000 were were worth being counted because 5,000 were men. Although that is bitterly and deeply politically incorrect, that's history. That's how the society was in those days. So the Romans or the Jewish priests, they were not afraid that women will come. So women were, ready to, were allowed to mourn. In that time, they were all of them men. So Peter and John and this, they were hardly there. We hear at some point that John was, showed up, and he was. Jesus saw him together with Mary and together with Mary Magdalene and whoever else was there. Women because women were not threatened by soldiers. Nobody was looking and saying, you are with Jesus. Even if you were with Jesus, okay, go and cry. You know, see if we care of all. And other friends of Jesus, they vanished. They went like cockroaches. They disappeared in the woodwork. You know? And the women were freely there because, you know. And therefore, funnily enough, but very meaningful for Kali Yuga as well, Jesus, when he was crucified, he was rather followed by wailing women than by his disciples who came and said, what are you doing to our guru? No, At least to be there and to say it's not fair. This man has been a great man, son. No, mostly women. So Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren woman, the wombs that had never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Yeah. Jesus, as you can see, although he cannot carry his own cross, he is beaten to pulp already at this time. He was pulp, not in this gospel, it's not said, but in other gospels we know that he was beaten 40 lashes and more, just the amateur beatings by the soldiers and so on, extras you know because the soldiers had to keep themselves warm at night and they were doing they were playing football with Jesus you know but besides that you know Jesus is still not losing at all his lucidity and who he is and says oh my god what have i done oh my god i exaggerated oh they caught me oh if i could get away oh if there is a way you no know, like he's living it out with dignity with lucidity and he said, don't weep for me, like he knows, I'm God, you know, I go back to God. As soon as I leave my body, I am the Spirit of God, you know, I am an avatar." He says, weep for you and your children, because by crucifying Jesus, unfortunately, the city of Jerusalem, until the second coming of Christ. Until the second coming of Christ, there is a karmic stigma on the fact that the Jews prayed for a thousand years for their Messiah to come. And there, Messiah came, and the Jews of today think he didn't came. That that was not Jesus. Jesus was not the Messiah, and they are still waiting for him, like you wait for a train which has passed yesterday, you know. And now you, today you are still waiting for that train. How much of a loser do you have to be for that? You know? So Jesus said, for the you know, and then he simply said, for your children as well. This is a very important thing. You have to meditate because Jesus is already half gone in clairvoyance and divine consciousness. He is beaten to pulp, he is in a state of shock, and basically although he knows what he is, one concatenated with the other, but they make sense in the big picture. He says the time will come when you will say "blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore." and the breasts that ever nursed. When did that happen? Like, okay, there was some war with the Romans. What do with the women do? You would say, well, the women who didn't have children, they could just take their own ass and run up in some hills or in some forests or some place and hide. So, of course, if you didn't have children, it was easier to take care of yourself. You would be more independent. You would have more freedom in your movements. If you would have one, two, three, five, ten children you would be like tied with a lodestone to your neck and then you had to stay with your children and die or endure, whatever it is. But the meaning is bigger because he says, blessed are the barren women, the barren women. When would the women say, blessed are the barren women, and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed? First of all, this is what's happening with nuns nuns are the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. So women who commit their life to spirituality. Then the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed, there would be women who make the choice of not having children. And of course we cannot fail in the circumstances where we live to think about pollution and nuclear war and cataclysms which could transform this planet into a nightmare. No? If a woman has children and the Americans and the Russians detonate their nuclear missiles and 90% of the population disappears in three days, then among the 10% left of the humanity, they will just go around and the women who have children will curse themselves and will say, why do I have to have children in these circumstances? Blessed are the women who haven't been pregnant, who aren't pregnant, who don't have to give milk to their children, or one, because you would give them radioactive milk if you give them, and secondly, because there is no food, there is no clean water, the equity resists because even when, uh, what was his name, Lot was told to run away from the city of Sodom and or Gomorrah, it doesn't matter, because the angels were going to destroy it, the angels told him, run in the mountains, hide in the mountains, we give you two hours, run, run, run now. You know? what will be much less radiation, because the mountains absorb the radiation, and you will be protected by it. So it's very interesting synchronicities This one that they will say to the mountains fall on us like cover us and to the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? He says people have done this when the tree is green, like when the trouble was relatively not so big. The Romans came and some Jews ran into some mountains to hide to not be conquered by the Romans, to live independently, you know? Like, okay, he says this will be peanut. It will be a walk in the park compared to what's happening when the tree is dry, like the trouble is really, really big. So Jesus projects his own torment and death and synchronizes it with further trouble of humanity, you know? He doesn't want to take grudge or revenge because he's just about to die for people. But he says, you are the baboons which you are. You crucified me and you are sending me away in shame. And then one day, things are going to be ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times worse. And you will ask for the mountains to cover you. And for the hills to hide you. And then if women have children, that will be a weakness. That will be so you know how you can you know how you can say, well, what if this happens in a hundred years? Hey, then all of you who are listening to this and who are women, go ahead and have some children of course it 's a very bitter time. And uh, they are going to vaccine them without your consent. And they are going to give them all sorts of treatments and things without your consent. And they are going to confiscate them from you and say you are not a good parent. Because if you want to give vegetarian food to your child, maybe it's not healthy enough. And healthy children shall have a little bit of meat every week. And if you give it, then you are, it's an abuse and you don't treat your children well. So the government will take your... Like anything can happen and we have seen a lot of things. We have seen parents in Germany whose child had a bone cancer and they wanted to treat the child alternatively and the government took the child from the family because alternative treatment for bone cancer is unacceptable for the government. No, this is the German government. It's not one of the most terrible governments. Like I think the Americans, the others are much worse. You know, And this is a relatively moderate government, but still European Union. You know? who would come and say, you would say, I want to treat my child from cancer with alternative treatments. And the government said, Nexum, it doesn't, it's unacceptable, we take your child, you are a bad parent. And what do you feel like doing? You feel like taking a knife and putting it in your chest. You know, it's like, what have I done? You no, know, I made children and now the government is confiscating my child and giving it to someone else or putting it in a foster home, in an orphanage and something, you know. And takes my child and gives it surgery and cuts its leg and cuts its bone and gives it chemotherapy. And maybe my child lives for another three years in agonizing pain and eventually it dies. You know, don't I feel like banging my head against the wall until I crack my skull open? You know, it's like then why have children in such a kind of society? No. At least uh, you know, when I was born, there were still parents uh, in my city, in my, you know, who had the sense of property of their children. If their kids were doing something, the parents would say whatever they beat them or whatever they restricted them, and they would say, "I made you, I kill you with my own hand, like you are mine until you are 18 years old. I am your owner." But if you cannot have this sense of ownership, then why make children? Just because you have an instinct in your svadistana that you should procreate, like cats and dogs and chickens, and you know, you are just an animal who needs to procreate, and your instincts are forcing you to do that, and you say, well, I guess it was the right thing to do." It was, and then what are you going to do if? Then people say, "What if the apocalyptic things will happen in a hundred years or in a thousand years from now?" That's not an excuse. The message of Jesus was given to the Jerusalem women two thousand years ago. Valid always. And it basically involves you thinking about what's the meaning of your life? What do you want to do with the meaning of your life? Therefore, remember, he said, there will come the time when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore. Spiritual person, you shouldn't do that. Great mystics in Christianity who are inert with these things, and most of them were monks and nuns living in monasteries, so they were living according to these principles. But mystics in Christianity dealing with a normal world, with the fact that 99% of the society is out there doing agriculture and farming and making children and doing stupidities and whatever they do, you know, they said it very clearly, You know, like to make peace with the society, to have all sorts of versions of this uh, statement, and you must have children, and then there is an appendix to it. Or disciples. The disciples are the children of the spiritual person. If you want to be spiritual, you don't need to have organic children, biological children. It would be enough to have one disciple, five disciples, a hundred disciples. Those are your children. Therefore, the possibility of the world is just cannon fodder. It's eight billion pieces of flesh which die are born anonymously, die anonymously, do pretty much nothing. They just swarm around looking for little pleasures here and there. Some of those people can become disciples for spirituality. Those who have a good karma, those who have an opening towards searching for the great truths, they can be. And therefore, spiritual people have a world of their own. A monk can have disciples. And in this way, leave the message, leave the knowledge, leave the accomplishments, transmit them further into the world. Remember, because this is an important thing, and Jesus here is mentioning about these difficulties in Kali Yuga. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. So this gospel tells us that they were crucified in the same day. Other people think that the two thieves on the cross they had been there for two days or something and they were slowly dying. When they came to the place called the Skull that means in Jew in Hebrew, that's called Golgotha. Golgotha, which is a place which exists today in the old city of Jerusalem. It's very close there, it's not so far. Uh, the place existed. Uh, it was outside of the temple, of course. And uh, it was called Golgotha, which means the Skull. Why? It is said that there they had found the skull of Adam. That when Adam finally died, because Adam died, he lived as long as he lived and then he died, Adam was buried exactly in that spot. And that's why they found the skull of Adam, and the hill was called Golgotha, the hill of the skull, the place of the skull. And it's very meaningful because it's like Jesus was crucified on top of Adam. And the meaning is Adam fucked it together with Eve. And then some of the Jewish prophets, they kept it floating, like Abraham, Moses, and the others. They kept it floating, like they made a covenant with God, and things were not brilliant, but hey, things were floating. And then Jesus came with the final touch, with the final stroke, where he basically brought back salvation. Like the human beings were able to turn back to the pre-Adamic condition, to the original condition of Adam, which was immortality, spirituality, being with God, not being marred by the original sin of disobeying God and all that Adam did. And that's why it's very meaningful. They say even that the blood of Jesus, when it dripped, it dripped on the skull of Adam, which, of course, is probably more metaphoric than literally true, but like Jesus, with his blood, washed the transgression of Adam, and the whole cycle of history was over. It started with Adam and Eve, and it finished with Jesus and Mary. Jesus is the new Adam, and Mary, is his mother, is the new Eve, saving humanity from itself saving humanity from its own problem so they they took him to golgotha there they crucified him along with the criminals one on his right the other on his left jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing remember that this thing is like the medals in the olympic games you have the silver and the bronze and then in the middle is the gold Even the fact that they crucified him in the middle is symbolic in a special way. Now, he was the head of everything. And to be crucified, the pain is supposed to be really bad, plus that he was in shock, beaten, tortured, beaten to pulp, and all of that. And in that condition, when you are not able to carry the beam of your own cross, so weak you are, and so much delirious. So much in a state of shock you are, in that state he still found the power to pray to God, not for him. Like, Father, make this short. Father, make this go away from me. No. He prayed and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Try to think, the people who beat nails in the hands of Jesus, what would the karma be in heaven? You know, if there is a justice... If you would catch Lord Vishnu or if you would catch I don't know whom and it would be allowed, you would have the power and suddenly you would torture them and break their bodies. What would the karma be? It would be unspeakable, you know, like the, it's not the karma that you killed somebody in a war or something, you know, that's one on one. You kill the man, a man will kill you. You know, but kill a god or a demigod or to kill something, in this case an avatara, you know, the karma would be like incalculable, it would would be like you cannot wash yourself of it with anything, that's why Jesus had to pray for them because these people were doing the because of people in this world occasionally here and there people kick me in the balls and they gave me trouble and so on, it was very difficult for me to find the resources to say Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing theoretically that's the archetypal prayer That's what one should do, you know. Uh, It's very easy to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing, but if you could kick them in the balls a little bit, you know, just a little bit, so I could have a bit of satisfaction, you know. It's like, it's very, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to be dying, to know that you are not playing theatricals, you know, you are dying, there is no taking it back, and actually the thing which you do is sincerely, I pray for you to be forgiven. That's. That's the real greatness. So, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots, because the dying man didn't have anything, so Jesus had some clothes. In those days, clothes were precious, you know, because the textile industry was very primitive, and most of it manual. You know? So, because of this, you know, they, people were not ashamed when people died on the battle, or this to plunder the bodies, to take their clothes, to take their weapons, to take the money from their pockets. to you know. So Jesus being crucified, they even took his clothes, because these guys were soldiers, rugged Roman soldiers. And that's how they lived their lives, killing people, robbing them, you know, getting drunk, doing their things. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, the cho- the chosen one. No, like they were asking for a demonstration. You know, he said if he is the Messiah, no, like wouldn't you be burning to show them that they crucified the wrong man? Wouldn't you be burning to say, you know, who you are crucifying? Let me just show you. You will know that you did some shit. No, at least to teach them a lesson, to say they should see what they have done, so maybe they repent. The ritual was different. You know, he had to go through it. He had to go. There was not he. He had not been invited by God to give a one-man show. He was invited to die, to let go, completely. No, the ritual was different. He had to be the sacrificial lamb, and in this way, he had to resist this incredible thing that people said. You said you are the. The whole point was: Is this the Messiah or not? And people were telling him: If you are the Messiah, at least now you know you can get okay. We fucked you. You know, you can at least show us. No, get free. No, he saved others, let him save himself. No, and so on. He didn't go even there, which shows the degree of humility. Again, this is not normal yoga. I you know that we try to find out the meanings of it, because how many of you will be in this life crucified or martyrized, or I hope none of you, I hope none of you will endure martyrdom or something like this. And therefore, this is exceptional psychology is the psychology of an avatar put on the cross and going to the supreme sacrifice. But it still shows us, it gives us some bhavana because it shows us something about the state of mind, the state of spirit. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. Now, with the soldiers, the Roman soldiers who were killers, who were mercenaries, they got paid every day to serve the Roman Empire and serving the Roman Empire, they killed jews, Egyptians, Thracians, Gauls, Germans, Hispanics, they killed everything. You know, the Roman Empire was one of the most terrible war machines in history, and one of the most killing machines in history, you know, And the fact that uh, the Roman soldiers behaved grossly oh, that that's even more sad. Like, how were such gorillas allowed to be around Jesus when he died? Now, this shows the profoundness of the test, that this test was not made only for the Jews. It was made for the Romans, and it was a symbolic thing for the whole humanity. It was something made for the whole human race. So they mocked him, you know, like, you mock a dying man, you know, crucified in agony, you know what a bad taste, what a bad taste, you know, what a, the monsters, demonic, they offered him wine vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself, another teasing, no, because for them, he was not the Messiah, he was the king of the Jews, save yourself, you know, like the soldiers say, come on, if you try to get off that cross, we'll hack you into pieces, man, we'll put our spears, and like, you know, try, Is that the high priests, were mocking him. And the high priests thought that they were theologians and that they knew the way to God. And they were possessed by the devil. The soldiers, the soldiers, is just a sad thing that they were allowed to be around and they were probably drunk. And they gave him wine vinegar until today, I don't know. But it was a sort of a despicable drink which was supposed to eliminate the thirst or something. Because the people on the cross, they were bleeding and sweating and therefore losing fluids. And they were getting very thirsty. And sometimes instead of giving them water, they gave them something which was nasty or sour, like the vinegar and so on. And the vinegar will cut the thirst, but not really fulfill anything. And moreover, it was unpleasant to take. So they, they, they kept on mocking him in various ways. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. In literature, in a, in a iconography, when Jesus is painted, you always see above him a little piece of board, a board of wood, which says I-N-R-I, which in, uh, Latin, in Latin, remember he was crucified by the Romans, so they would apply Latin standards to him. In Latin, it would say, Jesus Nazarensis, Rex thinking, they had to justify, why did we crucify this? Did we crucify this thing because he was a thief? We crucified this guy because he was a thief? And Jesus? Well, we crucified him because we pretended he wanted to be king. And thus he was usurping the social order and we just, uh, as a troublemaker, we cru- they had to find a pretext, and the pretext was this man would be king. But actually, never did Jesus lead any in- or any political or military power. So it was fake. Um, and again, the Jews opposed, because the Jews felt that if we said that this guy dies with this play, that he's the king of the Jews, is like uh, this puts a seal for history. Historically, it would be like this. And they said, take that thing away. But the Romans refused to take it, the soldiers, because they said, no, 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 this is why he's crucified, for us. I don't know for you what guys you have. But he said it in a manipuristic way. Like, you know, unleash us and let's go and have some more theft no, let's do some more bad things like he was a gang member and he said if you are so strong release you and us and let's go and be together you know or whatever no, this was not the right way to talk to Jesus not to mention that he insulted him and Jesus was had already been insulted plenty in these last, last 24 hours you no, that was not the point the point was that uh, he didn't have the right tone that's why, please remember, prayers are very often not listened to because you are not saying the right words and because you are not having the right tone. You cannot pray like, hey, okay, if you are God, make me rich or something, you know, whatever, you know. You don't speak like this to God. No, You have to speak in a bold way like the next one did, but with your heart openly. Otherwise, it doesn't work. People say, why aren't my prayers answered? Because it's too little, too late, too weird, too twisted, too manipuristic, too arrogant, too this. And God wants to give you a lesson. Like, no, 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 doesn't work that way. Talk to the hand, you know. It's like you're talking to the wall here, you know. So uh, uh, be aware of this, that he prayed. He said, aren't you the... In the correct prayers, they pray with the prayers of the saints. Because the saints found the right way of praying. You want to pray for health? You pray with the prayer of Saint Joseph or of Saint Francis of Assisi or of this and that because they found the right words and the right tone. Otherwise you pray and say, God, give me hells, give me, you know, and God says, oh my God, what a kick in the balls I would give you. Like because just because you pray like a shameless imbecile, you know, like it can get worse if you irritate God instead of getting better. You You have to pray with a humble heart in the right way. So that's why there are prayers which are pre established, because you have to go in the footsteps of somebody who succeeded. So back. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. With this, he has touched the soul of Jesus, you know? Because he admitted like a man. We are criminals. We robbed, we killed, we whatever we did. They are presented here as thieves. But not, God, God knows if they didn't do violent burglary and they killed somebody or maimed somebody or we don't know. It's just a very old knowledge. And the guy says, It's right. Like we are getting punished. That's the system. You know, others have been doing the same thing and they get punished. And that's it. He assumes it. He owns it like a man. He doesn't say, I want to run away with Jesus and stay and be a bandit again, be a rascal again, like save us if you are the Messiah, save us and let's, you know. He didn't say, I shall do no more. He could have said, Jesus, I'm really sorry for my deeds. If you are the Messiah, save you know, the guy, That guy did it just to provoke him. He said, you are the Messiah, staying there, you suffer like I'm suffering, you know, fuck you, why don't you save you? Why don't you save us? And that is not the right tone of voice. You don't pray like that. No? And the other found the right tone. And the other said, look, we get whatever we... He was also agonizing. He was crucified. He was pierced in the arms and legs. And he must have been in agony. No, And he said, you know, it's like, this guy, but this man, what has he done? He has been preaching about the kingdom of heaven and about loving your enemies. No, like he knew, everybody knew that Jesus was a famous person in that time. Especially in that week, he had become very famous. No, he said, What what's wrong with this man? They crucify him, at least we deserve it. But this man, the fucking Romans, they crucified him without deserving. You know? And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Like he believed that Jesus was great. And he says, At least send me a good thought. You know. I'm I don't know what's happening with me, I'm going to hell, whatever. And he prayed to Jesus, he said, like, I am a cockroach. He prayed to Jesus, he said, like, I am a cockroach. I am a face in the crowd. But because I am crucified with you, at least remember me. I've been been here a few meters away from you, dying together with you. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, by means, I acknowledge that you are going to the kingdom of heaven. I acknowledge that you are different. Remember me, you know, maybe if you send me some good energy, maybe if you send me a good prayer, maybe if you send me a good thought, I'm going to benefit from it. Jesus answered him. Jesus was not in the mood of talking to him. When people told him, if you are the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? And he would answer back and say, you didn't understand. You're a bunch of idiots. You know? He'd never talk to anybody. But he talked to this neighbor, to this criminal. And he said, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. People could stay even seven days on a cross, dying agonizingly. And Jesus told him, You are going to die quickly today. Remember, it was about 12 o'clock when this was happening, noon time. And Jesus told him, Today you will be with me in paradise. So, altogether, because you are talking to the King of the universe, you are talking to somebody who is directly from God. There is no law of nature which cannot be broken in that case. It was now about the sixth hour the Jews were counting the hours from sunrise, so it was twelve hours of the night and twelve hours of the day so from six uh, from six o'clock when the sun averagely rises in the spring, six hours it was about noon time eclipse because no eclipse lasts for three hours, so there must have been just some cloud phenomenon which is very meaningful, you know because when there is darkness, it's like the dark spirits are ruling today they celebrate, celebrate Diwali in India. In two weeks, they celebrate Loikratom in Thailand. It's the end of the darkness because in October, November, it's the time of the Scorpio and the time of Dumavati coming back and it, it, it becomes the time of Matangi or whatever. It's another cosmic power. It's another energy. So it's very meaningful that it was like a monsoon time coming. It was dark ominous dark clouds, as a symbol. Everything with a person like Jesus, everything is symbolic because this man is the microcosm and the macrocosm doesn't tell it. There was an earthquake as well. When Jesus was dying, the earth shook, which is usually a very bad sign, you know, like you have the sun going dark, the an earthquake coming, this shows you are crucifying God, you know. At least if these people would have been like shamans, they would have stopped. They would have taken him off the cross. They would have said, what the fuck are we doing? No, look, it's getting dark. There is an... It was just before the altar. where you know, And the curtain, because some beams moved because of the earthquake, there was, you know, people, some things fell apart and the curtain was torn in two. Like, what do you want more symbolic than that? How how should God Then God should come in person and talk to you if you don't want to look at the symbols. No? Like God told to the Jews in the temple, I am profoundly offended. You are offending me. Now my deal with you stops. No? It's like I cannot have a deal with Jesus and with you at the same time. You, you shun me out and I've sent Jesus there and you kill him, then I'm not friends with you anymore. If the curtain to the Holy of the Holies is torn and you still don't want to understand, oh, what a dark manipura, what an ill will, you know, like to demonically and diabolically to go on with the deed earthquakes are coming, the earth, you know, like this man is on the cross and the world is getting dark and the curtain to the Holy of the Holies torn apart. And still they did not stop it. They could have come in the last minute and said, look, maybe we did a mistake. Take him off, heal him, do whatever, you know. Incredible. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said all in all seven sentences. The one to the thief was one. The one where he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing, was the first one. And the last one was this. This gospel mentions three of them. When you read the other of John, because Mary had no husband. Apparently she had no other children because Jesus had only cousins, not brothers and sisters. And therefore, she would be a widow with no sustenance whatsoever. She would become a beggar. And he gave her to John, and he said, John, take care of this woman like she's your mother. Which was very thoughtful, but to be on the cross, dying, and to think about such things, it's amazing. So Jesus uh, talked, and the last word was this, when he felt that finally things were coming to the maximum after the earthquake and all that, then he said, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. So, that was the end. He died in a very dramatic way, but still, from the standpoint of the physiological death, he died in light, in awareness, and the last words was words of consecration. He said, God, spirit. You are the spirit. I am the manifestation of that spirit, the avatar. I give it back to you. The centurion seeing what had happened praised God and said surely this was a righteous man. Even the centurion was touched. We are told that it's the same centurion if you watch the Jesus movie of Zefirelli, it's the same centurion whose servant he had healed. And uh, The centurion said, look, he died very amazingly. You know, this guy didn't die horribly, gargling and foaming his mouth and cursing the world and being afraid. You know, this man, even in the last minute, he praised God. He forgave everybody. He had so much light in him. And the man said, by the way he died, I can tell you, this was a righteous man. Okay, we killed him because the procurator said, crucify him. I'm a soldier, I do my job. But it still means he was a good man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Beating the breast is the Jewish gesture which was taken in Christianity, of of this all one, they left. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. This is... Arguably uh, such a great moment. Actually here the Christian churches differ. M- when the Catholic Church depicts Jesus. they were men praying to Jesus. How do you pray? You don't pray to Jesus crucified. Because that was not the most brilliant. That was the moment when Jesus showed his valor. Because he was not afraid. And he, but, but his most glorious moment of, as resonance. Is the transfiguration. Is the moment when he was on Mount Tabor and he shone with light, and he showed who he is. Therefore, like Padre Pio and others, they try to identify with Jesus on the cross. They consider that that was the greatest moment of Jesus, while the others consider that the other was the greatest. That's why, for example, in the Orthodox Church, you almost never find stigmata. People don't get stigmatized, because they don't identify with the crucified Jesus. They identified with the transfigured Jesus. So um, Therefore, this was a great, the great moment. Here, Jesus, with such simplicity, but humbleness and all the rest, has demonstrated, indeed, his divine nature. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. So although he was from the council he didn't vote for Jesus to be impeached. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, that's why he's called Joseph from Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So he believed in Jesus and he was following the lead of Jesus, but he was a minority. Apparently there were two or three high priests who liked Jesus and there were 30 others who hated him. And those two or three, they were a minority. They have been outvoted. The high priest was always dead because if he was just fainted, collapsed, then when they would prick him, he would scream. He would wake up and there will be blood coming out because the heart is pumping and so on, you know. But when they pricked Jesus in the rib, just some lymph came. Some of the liquid from the lungs came. Some of this pleurotic liquid, the liquid which keeps the lungs together with the rib cage, you know, but not too much blood. Jesus was already dead for a minute and the heart had stopped pumping. You know, and in this way they realized, okay, you don't have to break the legs of this one because he's dead already. And we even tried to see if he's dead and he's dead. He's stone dead. So that's it. And thus, this is, these are things which are missing from the Gospel of Luke, but we know them from the other Gospels. And um, uh, he had been dead unusually quickly. The medical explanation is, of course, that the only way you can die in three to six hours sitting on a cross is an immediate infection, like the jaw lock, the lock jaw, or whatever it's called, this bacteria for which there is a vaccine, the lock which makes the body be tensed, and or septicemia, infection. So apparently, if you want to put it medically, if you want, Jesus had done its thing, and God was, was saying, okay, you know, so like Jesus died quickly and he didn't even need to be mutilated the other two thieves got their legs broken in the case of jesus this was not possible karmically because jesus later not only was resurrected but was ascended to heaven therefore demonstrating the diamond body you cannot have the diamond body with broken legs you know his body had to be completely perfect completely full on and that's why by divine hypnosis Somehow they didn't touch Jesus. He died untouched. He just got a little wound here, which was not a fatal wound. It was just a wound to see if he's screaming and if he's bleeding. And he did not scream and he did not bleed, which demonstrated he was dead to them. So he took the body, then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed rocks. So they were making like little caves. The tomb was like a small cave in uh, such a rock. And this guy being a rich Jerusalem priest, he had such a tomb for his family, and he donated it to Jesus immediately in this emergency. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin, so they had to do it quickly, quickly. And uh, they say that on this linen cloth, seven o'clock, whatever it was, and okay, we'll come Monday and or Sunday and finish it. So Jesus was buried very quickly, very precariously. And luckily, that Joseph gave this. Joseph of Arimathea became famous not only through this, because he basically provided what today is called as the Turin Shroud, the Torino Shroud, the Shroud. That Shroud is preserved and mark an energy mark on that. Which what's on the Turin Shroud? Like nothing can be more natural than that. No vision of a saint, no clairvoyant, no nothing, no parapsychological device can beat what was on the body of Jesus at the time of his death. And that's why there is so much controversy on it. And the second thing for the Joseph, like a black magician or something, collected the blood of Jesus in a cup, went unto Jesus bleeding to death and collected his blood. And that's the Holy Grail. That's the famous Holy Grail. It's the Grail. But why would somebody collect blood from somebody crucified? The man is sort of political man. That Holy Grail went to King Arthur, justifying the kings of England, and also. And then this idiots say that the Holy Grail was actually Virgin Mary, who had a child in her belly, and she went to Spain and gave birth to that child. And those are the Merovingians or whatever, the blue blood of the Merovingian kings. All this story from the Da Vinci Code. Uh, with uh, Dan Brown and all that, you know, it's like with it's not even worth going there. I'm just telling you that that's the Joseph of Arimathea, who whose personality was uh, associated, rightly or not, with those things. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, but who were the women? They were Mary Magdalene, Mary his mother, Martha, who is mentioned earlier, and a few others. Yeah, so. Um, the the sisters of Lazarus, probably, and so on. They were there. Uh, There was a following of women in there, which, again, they were not considered a threat by the Jewish authorities because they had no Jewish uh, religious authority. So it's like, okay, the women will always cry for some beloved man that died for them and so on. So the women that come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Funny, they didn't seem to have known Joseph very well and been part of the process. They kind of followed, like they were not, like Joseph said, come help me, put him in linen, anoint him. It's not known exactly, the whole story is not known. Joseph was having like, let's solve it quickly, don't have time for all these fanatics, and for all his followers, and all that. So, saw the tomb, and how the body was laid in it, then they went home and prepared spices, and perfumes, because the ritual of burial was a bit more elaborate, with uh, myrrh and incense, frankincense, and other things which were to be poured. Nard, some the oil of a plant, and so on. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So they saw they prepared the spices, but they were prepared to go Sunday morning, Sunday at sunrise. Then they could go and finish the burial service. On the first day of the week, now we are going to chapter 24, so it show we will not finish today, but tomorrow we are going, not tomorrow, on the next occasion, probably we are going to finish the final episode of this long series of satsangs with Jesus. So, they, you know, it's like everything was very anticlimactic. Jesus died, the women were ashamed to be part of it. Then Joseph took him quickly, quickly, like, cut the crap, girls. You know, it's like, we have to bury this guy. The Sabbath is coming. Will he stay here, rot on the cross for a day and a half? What do you do, you know? Like, everything was done very anticlimactic. Like, Jesus died, and then quickly, quickly, they disposed of the body. You know, like, and even the women didn't manage to do anything. The Sabbath was coming, you know? It's like, you know, it's like, nothing big you know it's like he died and we didn't even Peter and Thomas and whoever you know it was like very flat very you know exactly showing exactly to me when I meditate on this every time when I've seen other big events and persecution and so on I've seen the same thing you know that the devil wants to make everything insignificant Unimportant, going pale, you know. Remember, the devil was still dancing the dance until resurrection. Right now, It's this dark time, you know, when, you know, you cannot have Jesus mourned by thousands of people and carried in glory across Jerusalem. No, no, that would have contravened the whole purpose. The whole purpose was humiliate him, make him destroy, destroy his reputation, destroy his image, kill him, put him in a grave and let the whole world forget that he ever existed. You know, that's what the devil wants. The devil wants, okay, now you see me, now you don't, you know, like, boom. That's the black magic of the devil. On the first day of the week, the first day of the week is Sunday. The week, the Jewish week, which is the Kabbalistic week, the real week, it starts with the sun. Sun and moon, Sunday and Monday, and then the planet. Yeah, It starts with the Protestants and so on. They go Jewish. Because the Protestantism went back from Catholicism to a lot of Jewish precepts. No, which, from the standpoint of Christianity, it's a step back. It's a step backward, not a step forward. And because of this, in English language, Sunday is the first day of the week. You start the week with Sunday. No, well, Everybody is irritated by this, because the calendars of the most affected, Because there is a change of paradigm. There is a change of covenant. The, the deal with God has been changed. Now we don't celebrate the Sabbath. Now we celebrate Jesus. He is the new symbol. He is the new offering. There's a new deal. And therefore, it's still the first day of the week, as in terms of planetary things. Very early in the morning, so it had to be after sunrise, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Again, it's anticlimactic, like Jesus was dead. They had not been knocked out the whole Saturday. We're never told <clears throat> what people did on Saturday. They were just in shock. They were sitting like this and saying, What the fuck has happened? you know? <clears throat> like this guy we had supper with him and he told us that he whole Jerusalem turned against him. Even the Romans you know, the king, the high priest, you know, and then they put him to shame and quickly, quickly, and quickly, quickly they buried him without any honors and without any ceremony. No, and like, okay, let's go and uh, uh, anoint him properly. At least let's give him the proper burial. This is how it was. It was really sad. The whole thing was flat and sad per desire of the devil. Remember, the devil was running the show. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Which is another miracle because those stones were really heavy. And they were put there, especially so that animals will not go inside and devour the bodies. Of course, also against thieves. But okay, with the thieves, if five people put that stone, five thieves could come and roll that stone back. So it was not 100% foolproof against thieves. But the Jews were buried in a simple way. Naked in a linen cloth, smeared in aloe vera and nard and myrrh and whatever. What to do with a dead body? To fuck it in the ass? You know, it's like what would you do with the body? You no, know, what would you take away from the tomb? The Egyptian tombs were full of gold and paintings and whatever. You know, the for the pharaohs. But the Jewish tombs were absolutely poor, so they were not really afraid of thieves because the thieves had nothing to steal from a tomb. It's only it was only for the animals. You no. Know? So, animals could be jackals or foxes. So, the tombs were very well closed so that animals would not defile the bodies where the miracle starts. You know, this is where, what happened. In other Gospels, not in this one. In this one, we are just told the final outcome. In other Gospels, we are told that somewhere around midnight, in the night between Saturday to Sunday, a big light came, like a lightning, like a globular lightning or something like this, And somehow the stone was rolled away as by a magic hand. We are told by the mystic saints that this was the archangel Michael. That The archangel Michael was sent to kind of clear the way. Like boom. The Roman soldiers were in a very strange place because they did not witness it and try to fight with the angel or something. Because if they have witnessed that somebody rolled the stone, they would have at least prevented Jesus from coming out of the tomb. Or they would have said, what the fuck is happening? We're guarding this tomb per order of the procurator, you know. But it seems that the Roman soldiers were sleeping. They were behind the corner. We missed it somehow. The soldiers missed it. Apparently, there were some soldiers of the temple, some Jewish soldiers, whatever, paramilitary or what they were, plus some Roman soldiers put on purpose because the rumor was like this and they could not see it. You would expect that they would stay there with their spears right in front of the tomb, who is coming, if somebody is coming, we kill them, and so on. And then suddenly at 12 o'clock, what the fuck happened, you know? None of this. Both the Jewish soldiers and the Roman soldiers were like hypnotized. They were just around the In a certain way, they didn't really see it. They saw only indirectly, they witnessed, that there was a light. This is how we know that there was a light, because there was something like a lightning. But what else happened, they haven't seen. They haven't seen Jesus dematerializing or Jesus walking out of the tomb. Because they would have reacted. They would have said, hey, buddy, where do you go? We crucified you, you know, back in your tomb, you know, or something. They didn't. There was no direct conversation or conflict or interaction with anybody. So we are in this gospel, we are not told about that. We just told that when the women came there, The tomb was empty. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Now we know, this must be some angels, right? Two men clothed in clothes that gleamed like lightning. Like Obviously these were not citizens of Jerusalem. There was something else. Two beings. Which were gleaming with light. Like in this situation, the angels have not been afraid to show their face. Because now the stone was lifted. Now God was in full action. No? And it was the moment to kind of certify certain things. Even so, although these angels appeared... Most of the people said, oh, those women were having their menstruation and they were hallucinating probably or God knows what. Like It was very easy to dismiss two, three, four crazy women from Galilee who had to save the honor. And they said, of course, they will say that the angels came and so on because they think that this guy was very important. He was just a loser. He was just a hippie. There were no angels, man. They figured out, they made this story up It's very easy to dismiss it because these angels did not appear in front of the great temple of Jerusalem with a sword, with a flaming sword up in their hand and saying, hey, the man that you have crucified, Jesus of Nazareth, he was God and we took him out. God called him back to life, blah, 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 you know, so that everybody would fall on their back. No, that's why the Jewish society remained split. A number of people stayed with Jesus. Like, remember, according to the law of silence, even God was not willing to to push this miracle too much. Because this miracle could have been much more visible, much more spectacular, much more explosive. The Jerusalem people could have been flattened down by it by a huge angel appearing and saying, you know what you've done, you idiots. Now, of course, it's too late, but now you have to get the, con- you crucified the Messiah. You, you know, like, boom, you know, like, God didn't do that. Even in such a formidable situation, the miracle is valid for some people who believe in it, and for other people, they can dismiss it and say, "Nah, man, maybe there is something fishy. Those women, you know, women always hallucinate with this crazy stuff. And uh, it was not the women. There were two guys who gleamed like lightning. What they had taken LSD, or what the fuck they had taken those women, you know. Now you see people, where have you seen somebody gleaming like lightning? Are you crazy, you know? And so, like, they would put it down, remember, and these miracles which happen and so on, they are for a few people here, for a few people there, for a few people there, and in the end, so although Jesus was certified a way as to convert 100% of the population. Because God is not interested in converting 100% of the population. I told you, Jesus came at a time where humanity was low. And the task of Jesus was to redress it. To give it another 2,000 years. Not to make everybody Christian. And not to make everybody enlightened. This is a very exceptional event which sneaks through somehow. And for some people, it's of great meaning. For the rest of the people, it's like, it doesn't exist. You know, I haven't seen it. I can't be sure what to do about, what to say about this. This is very remarkable. Remember, because even the resurrection of Christ is, to a certain extent, discreet. Poor people have been resurrected. People knew Lazarus. They could run in circles saying, you know, we know Lazarus. He's the cousin of my cousin or son. He's this, he's that. But he was dead four days. Jesus took him out. I've seen with my own eyes. My cousin has seen it with his own eyes, you know. Like they could have made a lot of fuss. Somehow, some people were touched. And some people were not touched. As simple as that. No, Lazarus had been, and he's ready to kill Romans for it, you know, and so on. This is what we are talking about. No? That people would not see. Even in the case of Jesus, which is one of like, what to say about Milarepa? What to say about Ramakrishna? And then are we, uh, are we amazed that an idiot poisoned Milarepa? Would you poison somebody like Milarepa? First of all, you that guy believed that Milarepa was an imposter. That's why he dared to poison him. No? People thought that Ramakrishna was a madman. That he was crazy. His own nephew, Hriday, who was living on his back like this guy was eating from the donations which were coming to Ramakrishna. He was financially sustained by Ramakrishna in a country where people died of starvation and they were poor. And instead of being grateful to Ramakrishna, Hriday was persecuting him really badly. He was behaving like an asshole. This guy who is in the picture, you see Ramakrishna in ecstasy with his arms like this, you know, And there is a guy who holds him. That guy was his nephew from his own family. And when you read the history, you find out that that guy was a fucking demon. He lived with Ramakrishna and he dared to treat Ramakrishna like shit. And if you would be a half normal person, you would say, you know what? I can treat like shit my cousin. I can treat like shit some guy on the street if I... Not treat Ramakrishna because if he is God, if he is a, a great yogi, it will be a huge sin. I'm going to accumulate a karma that you can't imagine. You know? So why should I risk my hand perse- persecuting a guy like Ramakrishna? You know? What if he is the real deal? You know? But no, he didn't believe that Ramakrishna was the real deal. That's why Hr- Hridai was living with him and was seeing him in samadhi, and he probably thought that the states of samadhi were fake and were some mental disease of Ramakrishna, and that Ramakrishna was hysteric, catatonic, something like this. His own nephew, who was seeing him twenty-four-seven, more or less, you know, this is what the law of silence does: that people live in the presence of greatness, and they don't—they didn't see it even with Jesus. G- you see Jesus. If you want to see Jesus, angels, in their fright, the women bow down with their faces to the ground. No, like, that's the typical reaction. Ironized sometimes, like, why would you bow? It's a sign of respect. It's it's like a prostration. Like, suddenly you see the divinity, whatever, angry, favorable, whatever, you feel like touching the feet, you feel like prostrating. So they prostrated. He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful, of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, raised be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Always I find it incredible, but I know it happens like this: that Guru Jesus predicted his death three, four, five, ten times, he even gave details, and people were not believed he couldn't report. No, they were there to about to smear Jesus with aloe vera, like a normal Jewish guy who had died. Like, okay, our enthusiastic hippie Jesus, who was going around happily preaching, finally he died. Like, oh, okay, we all know that he was a bit exaggerated. Like, we all know that he was a bit too much. You know, hey, fine, tragically, okay, now they killed him. They put him out, you know. He was a great man, you know. Like bringing everything down, you know, bringing everything down to the earth. No faith, no belief. No, that's what the devil wants. The devil wants this, that Jesus should not produce a reaction in anybody's heart. Forget him. No, I was talking with a guy, with a Jewish guy who was studying uh, theology, Jewish theology, whatever, Kabbalah, other things in some university in Europe. He was one of our students here, you know. And he was the boyfriend of one of the teachers in Agama. You know? And uh, he heard me talk. I think I was lecturing about Jesus even then. And he heard me telling some things on the Christmas retreat. And he was like, you know, some of the Jewish students in Agama, they tell us that in the school community village where they grew, they didn't even hear the name of Jesus. They don't even know who Jesus was. So much the Jewish community is trying to keep him out like, no, there is no Jesus, you know, don't mention the name, you know, don't it is. It, if you hear about him. You know? And then this guy said, well, Why is Swami making so much fuss about this story with Jesus? He said, Of course. But she said, but You Jews don't like him because he was Jewish, at least half Jewish. His mom was Jewish, definitely, you know, and so on. And they said, "Yeah, Yeah, we know, we admit the existence of Jesus, but for us, he was a minor prophet. This is exactly the devil. The people who say this, they are hypnotized. He did not exist. People say, come on, man, it's obviously you are wicked. And it's too much. They even try to do that. But then to find a more smart thing, they say, yeah, Jesus existed. And he preached many interesting things. And he was very wise. And of course, we listen to what he has to say. He had to say beautiful things. And in the whole constellation of Judaism, he's a minor prophet. May your tongue fall out of your mouth when you say such a satanic thing. You know, he was not a minor prophet. Either he was the Messiah, or if he was not the Messiah, he was a schizophrenic liar. Things don't go like this with Jesus to make him a shade of gray. He is black or white. If he was not right then he was a liar who deserved to die because he was a deceiver who was deceiving the population of Israel. But if he was the real deal, then he was not a minor prophet. John the Baptist, when he met him, he said, I am not worthy to tie your shoelaces. John the Baptist was baptizing people with a power which came directly to him. Like there were no other prophets baptizing people. Baptism is not what the Jews did. The Jews did bar mitzvah or whatever they did in those days. The ritual, it was not a ritual of the Orthodox Jewish community. It was an extra ritual which came through John the Baptist. It was given like John the Baptist was a big prophet to be given this power that you baptize people and you say your sins are forgiven or whatever. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, He almost dropped dead, you know. He said, "I'm, I'm not worthy to touch your feet, you know. And you come to me, baptize you. He's like, I need baptism from you, you know. And Jesus humbled himself. Like, how can you call Jesus a minor prophet? This is the hand of the devil. The devil, following his thing, because the resurrection had just happened, the devil was still trying to keep things under cover to keep things so that they will be forgotten quickly, quickly, and so on. And then these women came, and they were just a few women, and that day it meant very little. But still they were human beings. They were met by the angels, some people looking like angels. And they told him, why do you look for the living among the dead? Because, this is the first thing I'll I'll discontinue soon, I know it's been long. Let's stop to this sentence. Why do you look for the living among the dead? But what does it mean? It's metaphoric. Like normal people are born and they die. Therefore they are mortal and they are called the dead. And why do you look for the living? Not because Jesus still lives. But Jesus said it himself when he raised Lazarus out of the grave. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the last, the life. I'm the life I'm life itself, because life is the essence which came from God. no God created life, only the materialists and the atheists think it happened accidentally, no, but life is created by the divine spirit, and therefore Jesus is the living. He is the one which gives life, and even when you die, he gives you eternal life. That's why Jesus gives eternal life. Of course, you can say, doesn't Shiva give? As they always do, because they come from God. And they said, why do you search for the living? Why do you search in a graveyard where there are mortal people, including you girls? You know, and you search for Jesus, is not here. And he is not. With you. They could have said, where is he? Uh, he's just around the corner. No, no, he's not in this world. He's like, you know... You search for the living among the dead. Like when you look around, you see the dead. Literally dead and virtually dead. The mortals. The people who are going to be dead in one year or in a hundred years. or you no. Know. Why do you search for the living? Because the house of Jesus is not here. He was a visitor. He came to visit you. You treated him badly. That's okay. Some of you loved him and that's wonderful and why do you search for the living like his his mission is over and his death was of no consequence let's stop with this thought tonight and it's quite obvious now when looking at the rhythm of it that most probably next satsang I'll manage to finish and maybe even draw some conclusions it has been a long long journey together with Jesus and we can derive so many beautiful understandings and teachings from it. Enough for tonight. Thank you all for joining and see you in the next satsangs and activities here in Agama.